Systems, a podcast featuring conversations about the changing healthcare landscape from the Harvard Center for Primary Care. I'm Audrey Provenzano. For the second show in our series about gun violence, we are joined by Dr. Mark Rosenberg. Dr. Rosenberg worked for many years at the CDC and helped to found the National Center for Injury Prevention and Control, or the NCIPC, and was its first permanent director in 1994. He oversaw the agency during the now notorious hearings about the findings of firearm research that at the time was funded by the NCIPC and the later passage of the Dickey Amendment in 1996, which prevented the CDC from advocating or promoting gun control. He tells us all about that time in his life and his later very surprising friendship with his foe at that time, Arkansas Congressman Jay Dickey. Dr. Rosenberg is now the president and CEO of the Task Force for Global Health. If you enjoy the show, please share us on social media and with your friends and colleagues. We'd love to hear from you, feedbacks and suggestions. So tweet us at ROS Podcast or HMS Primary Care. You can drop me a line at contact at ROSPod.org. Thanks for listening. Dr. Rosenberg, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for talking about this very important topic, Audrey. So in the 1990s, you were the director of the CDC's National Center for Injury Prevention and Control. And as I understand, there was a researcher named Arthur Kellerman who published a study in 1993 in the New England Journal that got quite a lot of publicity and caught the attention of the NRA. Um, and it showed, it, it basically documented some of the health risks of having a firearm in the home, which showed there was an increased risk of death due to firearms. And Apparently, uh, Dr. Kellerman said later that the NRA Institute for Legislative Action, which I guess is their lobbying arm, sent him a note, and he said, it said something to the effect of, Dear Art, with the publication of your last study, you have graduated from the public health file to your own, namely a file at the NRA headquarters. And then in 1996, you were called before Congress to testify, and this study was on the mind, apparently, of some Congress congressmen, Representative Jay Dickey of Arkansas, who was quite aligned with the NRA, accused you and the agency of trying to convince the public that guns are a public health menace. It was a pivotal hearing kind of in the history of, of you know, this issue in the United States. Can you tell us about the hearing? And at the time, did you realize the implications of the exchange? Well, the hearing was really the climax, I think, that has the showdown at the NRA corral. It was a climax of years of attacks by the NRA on what we had been doing at CDC because the injury center looked at all sorts of injuries, unintentional injuries that included fires, drownings, poisonings, um, burns, falls, as well as motor vehicle crashes. And they looked at intentional injuries or violence that included child abuse, child sexual abuse, sexual assault, domestic violence, elder abuse, youth violence, and suicide. Hmm. So the injury center looked at all sorts of injuries, both unintentional and violent. And the injury as a cause of death in the United States is very, very important. It was, and it continues to be, the number one cause of death for all young people in this country, age one to 44, mm. the leading cause of death. And for years, the NRA was attacking us because 
they developed something that they called their zero-tolerance zero policy. They decided that research on guns might eventually be harmful for gun sales. And they told their members that either you do the research or you keep your guns, but you can't do both. Hmm. They told them this is all or none, black or white, us against them. And they were stoking up these attacks on the injury center and on our research for years. And then when the New England Journal of Medicine study was printed, they felt even more threatened. Mm -hmm. So they stoked up their attacks. They were more threatened because they had been telling people that if you care about the safety of your family, if you want to protect them, then you will have a gun in your home. That's the only way to keep them safe. And what this study showed was that, in fact, having a gun in your home did not make your family safer. It put them at much, much greater risk. If you had a gun in the home, the risk of someone dying from a gun homicide in your home tripled. Mm -hmm. It went up 200%. The risk of someone dying from a gun suicide in your home went up fivefold, a 400% increase. And subsequent studies showed that the risk of a domestic violence homicide went up as much as the risk of suicide, fivefold. Mm -hmm. Now, just to put these risks in perspective, if a company, a drug company wants to introduce a new drug, but the risk of serious side effects is 20% more than a drug that they deem to do the same thing. If the risk of these side effects is 20% more, they will probably deny approval for that drug. Mm. A 20% increase in risk is a substantial increase. Sure. And what we're talking about here is a risk not of 20% or 30, 40, or 100, 200% risk increase of homicide and 400% increased risk of gun suicide. So these are huge increases in risk. The NRA didn't like it, and they stepped up their attacks. And that led to this hearing where Congressman Jay Dickey from Arkansas led the way for the NRA. And what they wanted to do was not just stop our research, they wanted to abolish the whole injury center. Hmm. So here they're willing to abolish the whole center that deals with the number one cause of death for Americans, one to 44. That was their goal, to abolish and defund the whole injury center. And so you had two sides coming together, kind of as arch enemies. You had the gun rights and NRA side. And on the other side, you had those legislators who thought that we needed to do more of this research on gun violence prevention. So it was a clash between these two forces. And they really wanted to shut down the whole injury center but what came out was a compromise. The Dickey Amendment was the compromise. Hmm. And it said that CDC can do the research. There's nothing in the Dickey Amendment to prohibit research. What it does prohibit is promoting or advocating gun control. 
And that really means lobbying for gun control legislation. Now, CDC had never been in the business of lobbying. CDC was in the business of doing research. But this Dickey Amendment was a shot across the bow. It was a warning to people. And it said, look, if you do research in this area, we can make your life miserable Mm -hmm. because we can write letters to the secretary of HHS or to the director of CDC or to the president of your university and tell them that you're violating these principles and you are advocating for gun control. Mm -hmm. Even though we know you're not, we can make your lives miserable. So it was a warning shot to people. And then they took away the funding that we had for the gun violence prevention research. That was $2.6 million. And people, when they make a decision, where am I going to do research? They want to know that they can work without being hassled and that there'll be a funding stream for them to apply to. So these were really obstacles to getting the research done. And I understand that shortly after this, you were you were fired. Is, is that right? Uh, that's right. In 1996, the director of CDC was David Satcher. Mm-hmm. And David Satcher was a remarkable director for CDC. Mm-hmm. And he knew that this work was really important because he said one of the key roles of public health is to speak up for those people who are less able to speak for themselves. And he knew that the victims of gun violence were people without any political clout, people Mm. without any real voice. For gun homicides, the victims were overwhelmingly young black men. Mm. And that's not a group that has clout. They were being murdered by guns at a rate 8 to 15 times the rate of young white men. Mm. And by the way, that's still... Yeah. The ratio, that's the disparity there. And he knew that the people who died from gun suicides, and two-thirds of gun deaths are suicides, he knew that those people were people with largely mental illness problems. And that's not a group that has clout. Right. And David Satcher said, we need to stand up for these groups. We need to address this problem. So for a couple of years, even after the Dickey Amendment was passed and they took away the bulk of our research funds, um, we kept it up in ways that we could while David Satcher was there. But then David Satcher was called to go to Washington to become the Surgeon General, Mm. and a new director of CDC was appointed, and he thought it was more important to protect his job and get reappointed than it was to protect the science. Mm. It was a very sad day for CDC. And he fired me. I was the person most closely identified yeah. with this gun bonds prevention research. Right. That was his third shot across the bow, in effect. And that one was fired by CDC. Yeah. So in later years, I understand you and Jay Dickey, who was one of the congressmen who really spearheaded this, and the, the amendment is named after him. But I, I understand you became friends, which is really wonderful here to hear, I have to say, in these really polarized times. Tell us about how that came about. Well, it's a wonderful story. But after the hearing where Jay Dickey led the attack for the NRA, led the attack on CDC, my bosses at CDC said, Rosenberg, don't you ever go talk to that man. Uh. Because it will be like putting a match to gasoline. 
you'll make it 10 times worse. And they said, you get it? Don't talk to him. I said, okay, I got it. But a few weeks later, we got a request from Jay Dickey's staffer. He wanted to go over some of the data we had talked about at the hearing. And my bosses said, okay, you can go up and talk to the staffer, but do not talk to the congressman. So I went up, I had a meeting with the staffer, and it went very well. He was respectful. He asked good questions about the data, and we looked at it together. And at the end, as I was getting ready to leave, he said, oh, by the way, the congressman is in his office, and he'd like to say hello to you. And I thought, oh, my God, this is really bad. Either I say, no, I'm not going to talk to him, and I'm rude, and I make things worse. Or I go and I talk to him and I get fired. But I thought at least I should go and try to be civil, just say hello. And I went into his office and I saw on his walls he had pictures of his family. And we started talking not about gun violence, but we started talking about his family Hmm. and his kids. And he asked me about my kids. And we found that our kids had some similar issues. And the next thing I knew, he invited my son and his whole class to tour Congress and visit him in his office. <laughs> and so my son came up and had a wonderful time. And then I did something for Jay. I helped his daughter find a job in Atlanta. And then we talked about that. I did other things for him. He helped me out. And we got to know each other. We actually got to like each other. And we came to trust each other and learn from each other. And it developed into a very, very close friendship. And uh, I think what Jay taught me is that you've got to state from the outset that your research has two goals. One is you're looking for interventions that will reduce gun violence, but you're also looking for interventions that will not infringe on the rights of law-abiding Americans. Hmm. And he said, you've got to state that at the outset, because the NRA has told all these people that the goal of your research is to take all their guns away. Hmm. And you've got to make it clear that's not your goal. So I learned that from him, and that's very important, because the Second Amendment is the law of the land. Hmm. And what I think I was able to teach Jay is that the public health approach asking these four simple questions. What's the problem? What are the causes? What works? And how do you do it? If you could answer and ask those four simple questions, we could find ways to reduce gun violence and protect gun rights without taking guns away from law-abiding gun owners. Hmm. And so we came to see, and Jay eventually changed his mind. He thought that it was a bad mistake to stop the research because he said it's crazy to go on this way. And I think both of us came to understand that nobody, not even gun rights people or Republicans, want to see their children slaughtered in schools or killed in movie theaters or at outdoor concerts. And no one wants vets or other young people or old people or family members to commit suicide with a gun. Nobody wants that, right or left. And we thought that 
things had been so polarized in 1996, and we were really opposite people. Jay was this born-again Christian conservative Republican lifelong member of the NRA who came from rural Arkansas, the duck-hunting capital of the world. And I was this Jewish Harvard, Jay would say, overeducated, <laughs> liberal lefty kid who not only had I never hunted ducks, all I could do was eat them. He said, if two people as different as we could come to see it the same way and could come to agree, then he said, we have hope that even Republicans and Democrats in Congress could come to see a way forward and could come to agree and support the same thing. So we were very hopeful that our example could help convince people that it's worth sitting down and talking and that maybe we can find a common pathway forward. And both of us thought that research and science offered that path forward. Hmm. So the recent omnibus bill that Congress passed had some language called agency instruction in it, which said, uh, while appropriations language prohibits the CDC and other agencies from using appropriated funding to advocate or promote gun control, which was the, the Dickey Amendment, basically, the Secretary of Health and Human Services has stated the CDC has the authority to conduct research on the causes of gun violence, but it didn't, you know, repeal the amendment outright. Is this enough? What, which what? is good. It's good. It's good. This is something people don't understand. Huh. We absolutely should not repeal the amendment. Huh. When the amendment was written, it was a compromise. It was a compromise between people who wanted to destroy the whole injury center and stop it, yeah. and the people who wanted much more gun violence prevention research. And it was used as a warning. This shot across the bow. It warned people, if you do research in this area, we can make your life miserable. Yeah. And that was because it was introduced at a time when the two sides were so polarized. Jay and I were so polarized. We were arch enemies. I think we were born and put in that position to hate each other. We couldn't have come out with any other feelings about each other. Yeah. But over time, we came to see a middle ground and to learn from each other. And now, the situation is different. Now, to move forward, and that language in the Omnibus Appropriations Bill is really good, because what it does is it quotes the Secretary as saying that science and research have something to offer as a way out of this deadly morass where we're stuck. Mm. And it endorses the research. What the Dickey Amendment does now, it's not an obstacle, but it's a bridge. And it's a way for Republicans and Democrats and gun control and gun rights people to come together because it assures the people who are from gun rights states and it assures the people who are afraid of the NRA that the money they appropriate be used only for research and it cannot be used to advocate or promote gun control. And that's what the people need to know. It will only be used for research. It can't be used to lobby for gun control. If we're going to get funding, the language in the Omnibus Appropriations Bill was really good. It was an endorsement of the science. 
But the next big step now is to get funding mm. to support the research at CDC. And if we're going to get funding, it's going to have to be bipartisan support. The Democrats alone can't vote to fund this. They need Republicans with them. It's a Republican-dominated Congress. And to build a bipartisan coalition, we need the Dickey Amendment because it gives cover to the people who have concerns about the NRA or who are concerned about protecting gun rights. And what it says is the money will be used only for research and will not be used for lobbying. So it's really good to keep it in. It will help us build this bipartisan coalition that we need. And I think a lot of people are mistaken. They think that the Dickey Amendment is a prohibition against research, but it's not. And it's really the basis of building this bipartisan coalition that we need to get the funding. Times change. And the significance of the Dickey Amendment has really changed. And I like to think that in some way it parallels the evolution of my relationship with Jay Dickey. We started at extreme odds, diametrically opposed, and we ended up both coming towards the middle and seeing a middle path forward. And I think in these times, Republican legislators, especially with the Parkland kids and the youth movement Mm. that's now so strong, Republican legislators are under a lot of pressure to pass something. And approving scientific research is something that you can vote on no matter which side of the aisle you're on, no matter whether you're for gun control or gun rights. You can vote to support this research to find out what's safe and what's effective. It'll get us all out of this mess. So the Dickey Amendment is really important to keep it. The Parkland kids two days ago released the list of their top five legislative priorities. And do you know what their top priority was? Number one? No. Restart the gun violence prevention research at CDC. Hmm. That made me so happy (laughs) to see their support there. But I think they realize that that takes it out of being a partisan issue and brings both sides together to pursue a real resolution of the problems. And it's such a big problem. Some people say research takes time and we don't have time. And I'd answer them with two points. The first is we're not saying research is the only route that we should pursue. It's one that can really help us, the route of science. Look what it's done in terms of reducing deaths from heart disease or cancer or stroke. It's done wonderful, wonderful things, and it can do the same thing here. So we're just saying that research is one path forward, and we're not saying that we shouldn't pursue normal political channels at the same time. It doesn't have to be exclusively research. The other argument people make is that research takes time, and it's going to slow things down. And Jay would always say, yes, the best time to start this research would have been 20 years ago. That's like the question, when is the best time to plant a shade tree? The best time to plant a shade tree is 20 years ago, but the second best time is now. Let's get it started. 
This problem is so big. Audrey, we just got the data for for 2016, the latest year for which we have valid data on gun deaths. Mm -hmm. And gun deaths went up in 2016. They went up to 38,638. That's almost 39,000. That number's rising. It's now more gun deaths than deaths from motor vehicle injuries. And this is a big problem. School shootings are a small part of this problem. Fewer than 2% of school-aged children are killed at school. Fewer than 2%. 98% of school-aged children are not killed at school or on the way to and from school. They're killed in the community or they're killed in homes. They're not killed at school. So school shootings are a small part of a very, very big problem. And this problem is not going to go away. There's no magic bullet. There's no one solution that's going to stop all of these unnecessary gun deaths. But it's going to be like the scientific discoveries that brought down the motor vehicle death rate is one step at a time. You know, designing front-end protection saves some lives. Side impact protection saves some. Rollover protection. And then seatbelts saved a lot more. And then airbags saved even more. And then elevated brake lights. And the problem's not done. We're still working on making motor vehicle driving safer. Mm -hmm. It's going to be similarly with gun violence. There's no one magic solution that's going to solve the whole problem. But let's get started. Let's get started on finding the answers. I think one problem is most people don't understand what does research have to do with preventing gun violence. Mm -hmm. I think, isn't this just a political problem? And I would contrast it. People do understand why research is important for the battle against cancer. Mm -hmm. Because when you're looking for the best therapy for cancer, you have to solve two simultaneous equations. You're looking for a treatment that will kill the tumor, but keep the patient's vital organs alive. You don't want a drug that stops the tumor, but kills their kidneys or their liver or their heart. You need something that will both stop the tumor, like stop the violence, and protect the vital organs, like protecting the rights of law-abiding gun owners. And I think people understand that you can't figure out in your head what chemotherapies or immunotherapies are going to work. You have to do the research. You have Mm -hmm. to do the trials. There's no other way. It's the same thing here. Research can help us identify things that will both prevent gun violence and protect the rights of law-abiding gun owners. But there's no way you can figure this out in your head. There's no way that common sense will tell you whether arming all teachers will save lives or kill more students. There's no way you can figure out in your head whether allowing more people to carry concealed weapons will save lives or take lives. And there's no way you can really figure out in your head 
whether limiting access to certain types of weapons is going to prevent school shootings or mass shootings. We don't know. We have to do the research and find out. And we're really far behind in that area. Mm. We don't understand whether licensing of gun owners and registration of guns will actually be effective in reducing gun violence. We don't know if that would infringe on the rights of law-abiding gun owners. We don't know. There's so many things we have to find out. But if we can get the data on these things, then we can give it to the lawmakers and we can let them know what's safe and what's effective. Asking them to vote on these things without knowing whether they're safe or effective puts them in an unfair position. So I think if we start to do the research, it will benefit everyone. It will get us better policies, better laws, and safer communities. I think it's a win-win for everybody. Hmm. Dr. Rosenberg, thank you so much for your time. You are very welcome. I hope it's helpful, Audrey. Very helpful. You've been listening to Review of Systems, a podcast featuring conversations about the changing healthcare landscape from the Harvard Center for Primary Care. I'm Audrey Provenzano. Check our website, primarycare.hms.harvard.edu, for more information about Dr. Rosenberg and a link to an op-ed that he wrote with Jay Dickey advocating for restoration of funding for gun research at the CDC. If you enjoy the show, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen. It helps others find the show and share us on social media with your friends and colleagues. We'd love to hear feedback and suggestions, so you can tweet us at ROS Podcast or at HMS Primary Care, or you can drop me a line at audrey at rospod.org. Thanks for listening. <laughs>